Welcome to another episode of After Further Review. Mark for our John Pelkey, Jeff Taylor, our producer on the board. We have a packed show for you. Folks, out there in podcast land and YouTube land, this this is the most packed show I can remember that we're going to actually talk about live sports. I can't remember a show that didn't have some sort of parlor game, some sort of reference to the past, some sort of talk about philosophies and what's going to happen as a large chunk of the show. But this show, Johnny, it's it's pure sports. What's happening right now? It's unbelievable. It's going to expose us. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, now we have to pretend like we're we've watched and I have I told you I watched a lot of sports and I knew less having watched it than I did when I just sat around and read about stuff. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm just terrified about this show. You threw guests at me last minute. I mean, it's just, I, I don't, I, you know, I'm all in my headspace for the big deep dive. I thought, you know, cause normally one of these Monday shows on my deep dive, I'm yeah. a couple of pops in. Oh, I'm not sure. paying much attention. You don't have to worry about anything. No, but now I feel like the, the pressure's on and it's disturbing. Well, the pressure's on, not just because you have to talk about live sports. You have to have some sort of semblance of knowing what's going on and some sort of semblance of a take on what's going on. But we are going to bring in friend of After Further Review, Derek Abbott, who is going to continue his deep dive into the National Football League and talk about uh, some of the teams out there and what kind of plays they're running. Uh, Derek is an assistant coach for the Coast Guard Academy, and they have canceled their fall sports so we'll get into that first Derek first of all thank you again buddy for joining us and uh what's the latest are you actually up in Connecticut right now well th- thanks for having me on again guys um I'm actually not in Connecticut uh coming from Florida I had to uh to quarantine for 14 days so I took the uh the opportunity to go hang out with uh my aunt uncle in Bethlehem PA um I, I know like, it well they <laughs> I was able to. Uh, I'll meet you to Tally Ho at nine thirty. Nine thirty tonight. I know I can right, get I'll there. See you. Flights I'll see are inexpensive. I think it's only outdoor seating right now, but I'll meet you there. I'm all, I'm all uh, does that qualify as part of your quarantine? As long it as it does, it does. Since <laughs> since it's not uh, coming from one of the uh, the hot areas yeah, or whatever. I, I so, see. I see. So, yeah, so where are you? About a weekend to this thing now? Yeah. So I, I started working. Uh, well. I started my quarantine on uh, on Monday, last Monday. Okay. So All right, it's just so one week into it, and then I'm back at the uh, back at the academy and, and ready to work. Uh, whatever whatever we may be doing, coaching yeah. cornhole or something. <laughs> it's incredibly popular. It, it was beanbag toss when I was a kid. I don't know the naming. You got the naming rights. Probably that guy was the naming rights for all Redskins uh, names that are coming up. The guy who stole all that. But I do. I did want to ask you that, Derek, because I thought about you when it when it was canceled. You know, because we had talked mm-hmm. about it. But you guys still have to prepare for the next season. Recruiting comes mm-hmm. into play, and you know, guys, guys aren't going to stick around an extra year at the Coast Guard Academy. I mean, they they have they have bigger fish to fry. So what is it actually? Mm-hmm. Is it really just uh, focusing mainly on recruiting and things at this point for you guys for me right now yeah um a lot of uh a lot of independent football research as well uh would be the way that i could could phrase that because you can only do so much recruiting and you know it kind of you go nuts after a while um so you got to get the the juices flowing a little bit and try and get 
get back into some film. I was actually watching film of like 1936 Ohio State um, running a play, and I really liked it. And I sent it to our offensive coordinator. And he's like, where the hell did you even find this? I'm like, we don't got to get into where I find this. It's the fact that I did. Time. Listen, I if you time. need help. I got time. When I was nine years old, I was a single wing quarterback and I called all of my own plays. So if you need any help, I, I assume, I think we ran either the 34 Minnesota or the 36 Ohio State offense. So let, yeah. let, let, let me know. It's Mark, the hey. single wing. It's coming back. It, it is. I mean, you, it, I'm telling you, the more things change in football, that people think that there's all these new revolutions. You go back to, to the old days, you're just running uh, different sets and everything else. I mean, it, it's, it repeats itself so much. It just comes back in different ways. You can only do so much between, uh, between the, between the lines. So um, kind of try to look back and, and find whatever you can, uh, especially this time, you know, it's such a good opportunity to try and to try and take a deep dive and, and try and learn as much as you can from other people. And, and what a great resource the internet has been for, for almost everybody. So I think the guys that come out of the pandemic, you'll see, you know, who was, who was watching film and who wasn't, and who was, who was working, yeah. who was working. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of reinventing the same wheel, we are going to now talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and, and a note, a side note, uh, John Pelkey, that uh, the man uh, solely responsible for whether you, and I, frankly, uh, receive any other additional work after right. this thing is over, right. uh, is, is watching the show right now. And yeah. he has said some of his favorite, uh, shows have been when Derek's on it. Actually, the last one when he was breaking down the, uh, the LA Rams for us. And, uh, we're going to break down the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Well, right I'm glad now. Derek will be getting work from that guy after this. <laughs> he will. There's the backhand way of saying that you and I are out. So <laughs> does, does he have a, does he need a football coach? Yes, know, exactly. I'm stomping at the bit to coach something. Yeah, he'll stay out of the Big Ten. He, they do. A, he and his son do a podcast as well during football season, so they may want to bring you on for, for that as well. So you will you will be the king of uh, non paid podcast guest appearances uh, <laughs> around Florida. So uh, with Tampa Bay, and we're going to focus primarily, you know, on the offense, but we'll get to the defense as well. We were just talking about what we've heard, what we've read. And that is it's because Tom Brady has been steeped in a very complicated system in New England. He has he's very facile at absorbing new playbooks. And so Arians really and Tom Brady himself said, no, we're going to do Arians system and I'm going to learn it as opposed to them adjusting to what I do or what I'm most comfortable with. Is that in your research what you've discovered? Well, I think it, it's going to be kind of, of a blending of the two. A little um, hybrid? Yeah, because I think Bruce Arians is smart. Now. He's a highly intelligent coach. I mean, if you look at his resume of quarterbacks that he's had, Peyton Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, Andrew Luck, Carson Palmer late in his career where he kind of revitalized his career, and uh, and now Tom Brady. So he has a pretty impressive track record of uh, of working with quarterbacks. And, and, and I actually had the chance to, to read his book as well, The Quarterback Whisperer, and he talks about adjusting his – adjusting his person what he does offensively to the type of player and quarterback that he has obviously you know everybody who knows hey risk it no risk or uh no biscuit no risk it or risk it for the biscuit or whatever he calls it um that you know that's his that's his philosophy that's his strategy that's what that's why you know he's been as successful as he's been um but I think he's smart enough to go, hey, you know, I have a 44-year-old quarterback. I don't think I'm going to be running read option or whatever it might be um, with them. But I think if you go back and, and some of their personnel groupings and some of the stuff that they did 
um, in New England. And some of the stuff that Bruce Arians likes to do as well, I think you can kind of mesh the two together. Um, I was actually doing a little bit of research, but like New England actually – their, their offensive production increased when they, for example, sent Gronk down the field vertically on some option routes in the middle of the field. So everybody thinks, well, Tom Brady doesn't want to throw the ball down the field. Well, that's not necessarily true. Or think that Bruce Arians only wants to throw the ball down the field. That's not true as well. So um, you, you can look at a lot of it and think that, you know, the, this is actually – on the surface, it may think that, oh, you know, this doesn't look like a bugs flying around everywhere. Uh, on the surface, everybody been thinking, well, this makes no sense. They want to throw the ball down the field. Tom Brady only takes short intermediate checkdowns and everything else. But when you take a deeper dive into it, it's, it's not all that different. I mean, you push Gronk down the field. And last year, Jameis Winston threw 30 interceptions. Only two of them came off of play action. So he was way more effective off of play action and that's something that they do, that they did a lot in New England as well. Before you chime in, Johnny, I do want to say, you know, that list of quarterbacks you mentioned, you, you could put Jameis on that. Yeah, he he set a record, but he also had 5,000 yards and 33 touchdown passes or whatever it was. I mean, mm -hmm. Jameis had more offensive production than he's ever had at, at, at all. And, of course, Arians had no patience with the turnovers because a lot of those were – I'll give you I'll give you some quick numbers. They're first in passing yards per game, third in points per game, and third in um, overall offensive yards in the league. That's pretty damn yeah. good. And they were a seven and nine football team last year, and I think only seven games came down to a touchdown or less. So yeah. you bring somebody else in that can maybe not turn the ball over as much. I think Brady only had four picks last year, twenty four touchdowns, twenty seven touchdowns, whatever it might be. That's a, that, that, that could be the piece. All you got to do is just manage the game, per se. <laughs> well, I, and, you know, and it, and it brings up a really good point, because what a lot of us here with, with pundits is talking about, you know, the personnel in Tampa Bay not, doesn't necessarily fit what Tom Brady does now, because they have guys who can go down, who can stretch the field. I mean, uh -huh. they've got they've got a big play offense. Well, New England didn't, didn't do that because they didn't have that uh, personnel. But Tom Brady's been starting quarterback in the National Football League for 20 years, and I'm sure his arm strength has dropped. I can tell you when you get older, certain things, uh, you know, don't work as well as they used to, but he's a, he's a superior athlete. He's uh running style, not withstanding. And he's a guy who has been a quarterback for 20 years and worked with a lot of different personnel. So my thought would be stop thinking so much about, does it really fit him? He really can fit in. Read option notwithstanding, because I know we'll jump there, but he can really kind of fit in anywhere because he's done everything over the last mm -hmm. 20 years. He's played, he had Randy Moss, and he had that offense. So isn't it more about the fact that you, you've got a guy now with a with the maybe the best brain in football who has 20 years of starting experience, so it doesn't really matter what grouping he has around him. He can morph to meet what they need him to meet, read option notwithstanding. Mm -hmm. I, I, would, I would really agree with that statement. I wouldn't even look at the last year's New England personnel grouping. I think that you would have to go all the way back to like 2012, 13, and 14 when they had Gronk and Hernandez. Now, this is 100% assuming that Gronk is going to come back and be a – the same Gronk that we all know. Now, I don't know that he will. He might be a situational player where they bring him in at third down in the red zone. But besides that, you look at their tight end room, it's pretty good. O.J. Howard, Gronk, 
and Cameron Brait. Those are all guys that can make plays also in the pass game and the run game as well. So, and their, um, their rushing attack really struggled last year. I believe it was in the bottom half of the league, almost the bottom tier of the league. So you have um, Ronald Jones, who's coming back, who averaged, I think, 4.2 yards a carry. So with now you have a tight end like Gronk, who down the stretch during their Super Bowl run in 2018 had a huge impact in their run game. So now you beef up the offensive line. The run game helps. That opens what? Play action passes. Now you bring more people in the box. Now you're going to get more one-on-ones with Mike Evans and Godwin. So I think that those are kind of the things that they they might morph into. And if you go back and you look at some of the old Bruce Arians tape, he goes into like 13 personnel. We talked about the different personnel groupings in the last show. Three tight ends. Three, three tight ends running back. So who's to say you can't have Buck Cameron and O.J. Howard in the game with um, – Mike Evans split out. You could run a lot of the same concepts. Or if you, what they did in New England with Gronk and Hernandez to create mismatches, have two tight ends in, maybe they're off in what we call an ace set where it's two by two, two tight ends on the end, on each end of the tackles, two receivers outside. Who's to say that you can't shift them out and put them into the slot or put them outside? And now you're going to get a mismatch with Gronk and a linebacker, kind of what you saw in the Super Bowl when they played Seattle. And I forget whoever he was covering them, if it was Bobby Wagner or K.J. Wright, or I forget who it was, that Gronk caught a touchdown. And everybody's thinking, well, how could you leave a linebacker on Gronk? Because those are the kind of things that you are able to do with Gronk that you could shift him out, put him in the slot, put him outside. Same thing in the Kansas City game and in the Super Bowl. How could you have a linebacker on him? Well, I mean, that's kind of you get caught in them personnel groupings, and those are the kind of things that can happen. And and those are obviously some things that I can really see Tampa Bay taking advantage of if Gronk comes back and he is the Gronk that we all know and love. And and so that's an example, Derek, of the hybrid nature that you're talking about, some of the same Mm -hmm. sets, some of the same groupings that New England use that could easily transfer into Tampa Bay, and Bruce Arians obviously would want that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Big play action kind of. Uh, coach as well you're talking about but what else makes Bruce Arians a cut above the rest of the offensive coaches out there the rest of the quarterback coaches what is it about him that turns these really good quarterbacks into great phenomenal quarterbacks well he also has a really good coaching staff around him uh, offensively uh, Byron left which is primarily taken over I think play calling duties and then he has a quarterback coach in Clyde Christensen who who I had the opportunity to meet with last year and talk to in a quarterback room about what kind of the things that they like to do um, you know the things that make Bruce Arians so different is is that one he's always going to go for the win always going to take shots he loves pushing the envelope especially down ball down the field as well um, and he is also the, the way that he is able to always stay one step ahead in his play calling and how he sets up his plays. So, for example, if you come out and you're in, like I said, 13 personnel, many people would already assume, okay, here comes a run play. They got however many guys in the box. We need to get our heavy set guys in. And then you throw a play action pass off of it. You take a shot, you throw a screen, you run outside zone. All things to keep a defense off balance that throw off tendencies. So those are the things that like Bruce Arians has really, really thrived off of over the years, especially with guys like Carson Palmer and Peyton Manning. And he talks at length about Ben Roethlisberger in his book. Um, he talks about how in the in the AFC championship game, you know, they had the option of either against the Jets. They had the option of either running the ball, getting to fourth down, punting it back to the Jets. I think it was a third and six or so. And 
Roethlisberger was like, hey, can we go for this? And Arians was like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> they ended up, he ends up throwing it to Antonio Brown. They seal it, and then they go to the Super Bowl. So I think some of the coaches around the league would be not as receptive to that. So he, he's all for going for it and, and kind of the things that he do, does schematically and setting his plays up are always staying one step ahead of a defense. Yeah, play calling most most fun of any any co most coaches will tell you that offensive coaches Terry Bowden my remark told us that he goes I just want to call plays that's all I want to do yeah. is call plays <laughs> all right let me ask you this question about Gronk jumping back to that for a bit because uh can you see a scenario uh, I, I think he's certainly going to give Tom Brady a bit of a security blanket early on and let's just assume that we get Gronk at 80 percent of what he was in his prime which I think is a fair place to to set the over under on him. Um, uh, can you see a situation where very early in the season they're relying on him uh, quite a bit because he's a comfort, uh, he was a comfort zone guy for, for Brady, but as the season continues and he gets more used to the personnel that he's working with, they have to rely on Gronk less and less. And that may actually lead to Gronk playing a little bit less later in the season and being more, um, being healthier and uh, more able to contribute late in the season because he does have the in- history, plays a physical game, a very physical style of a game, too. He has a, an injury history. But can you see a situation where they they have the talent to allow Gronk to just be, particularly towards the end of the season, to rest him for the playoffs, being a ve- very situational guy and not needed as much? Mm-hmm. So when, when you were saying the comfort level with – with Gronk and Brady, the biggest point to that, I, I don't think would go, okay, well, yeah, they obviously played New England together and everything else. The biggest part of it is that Brady has not had time to work as much with his other receivers because of the pandemic, Right. which is, I think, something that people keep forgetting about that, hey, they're just getting to camp right now, other than, you know, a couple of Brady's illegal workouts at high school that, you know, he got <laughs> ran out of a park and uh, had a breaking and entering or whatever he had to do to get a playbook. But um, absolutely, I think earlier in the season, you could see him relying more on Gronk because he has that comfort level with him. And, I mean, this is also hoping that Gronk is able to get through an entire season. You don't know where he, he says his body feels great and everything else, but you don't truly know it until you put the pads on and you go through a camp. There's no preseason game, so they're not gonna, they're going to jump right into it. So maybe down the stretch, like you were saying, you could definitely see that where, okay, I'm more comfortable now. We don't have to rely as much on Gronk. Third and four, third and six, hey, we're in the red zone. We're going to use you a little bit more. We need to get you in the run game more. Very similar to what you saw in 2018 um, down the stretch when they all would essentially used him as like a, uh, an extra left tackle um, sometimes. So you kind of see that, but early on, I mean, obviously he's going to rely on the guys that he knows. Um, the other aspect too is they actually brought in LaShawn McCoy too, um, just recently. So that's another veteran in the game that, that, you know, Brady might be able to rely on. Not that he has comfort with him in the past game or anything like that, but a guy that has been around that knows how to work. I mean, you get some of the younger guys. They've never, I mean, nobody's ever been through this kind of predicament, but you get go, the older guys. I think this year will probably thrive more than the younger ones. Can I ask a real quick follow-up Mark? Because this, I, I just want to ask Derek to put on his uh, defensive coordinator uh, jacket mm-hmm. for just a second. Um, g- given what you've talked about the teams, and this is just sort of a global NFL question, 
what what teams the limited amount of time guys will have had to work together there's always turnover every season it's going to make it more difficult do you expect defenses to be more aggressive early on and particularly against like a brady led team where they're not 100 percent sure what they're going to get because they've never seen this team in in game conditions and that you're going to see guys bringing a lot more pressure because that quick decision check down stuff might not be there for guys who haven't worked together as, yeah. as much. Well, I think the key to get, well, the key is always to get in Brady is getting there with a four man rush. Cause the minute you send somebody else in a five or a six man rush, Brady's going to be able to pick it apart, especially now that he's got more weapons from a defensive standpoint. Um, I think you're going to have to go back to even the, the strike year. I forget which year it was uh, a couple years ago. And Bill Belichick talked about how he had to basically shrink down his defensive playbook because he didn't have the time to get into a lot of the exotic stuff that he would have liked to. So instead of trying to do this and, and, and morph into different things, let's keep it basic. Let's run these really, this concepts, these blitz packages, these coverages more efficiently than everybody else. So I think that you might see more vanilla coverages mm-hmm. in the beginning, because again, that back end is crucial especially with communication. So if your your free safety and your strong safety have never played together or your corners or your middle linebacker hasn't communicated with the defensive line that might be brand new or something like that, they've never done that. You can only get so much out of a walkthrough, right? Because it's it's a walkthrough. You're just going off of checks. But when the bullets are flying and you got to make that check or that call right now and the guy next to you doesn't have um, the the, the trust or – just like the, I don't even know what to say, basically the trust um, of the guidance to him to know what he's going to do right away, that, that that obviously plays a huge factor. So you want to keep things as simple as possible, especially in a season that, well, we hope still happens, but yeah. is going to definitely be different. It's going to be interesting, Mark, to see whether we have, you know, high scoring games or we're going to have low scoring games because – it, it is – there's really no way to, uh, to, to to find its equal entering any season. So except maybe a couple of those long strike seasons, but usually those were still guys who had played together uh, for a more extended period of time than guys do today. It will be interesting to see that. It will be interesting to see how the offensive line holds up. They've bolstered it in the offseason. Obviously, the addition of Gronk, to your point earlier, Derek, will help. And I'd like you to talk about that in just a bit. But I first want to get – to their schedule, and I don't know if you've had a chance to uh, to look at it. They they play. First of all, can we can we dispel with this notion that if you have a bad year, you know you have a fourth place schedule, you have an easy schedule. It affects two games. It affects two games throughout the season because everyone plays the the AFC quadrant and everyone plays whatever nfc quadrant they're doing everyone in the division does the same thing and then they play each other and then there's two additional games where so you know and and this year tampa the third place teams in the east were the giants but in the west it was the night it was the uh, rams so that's it and then they play the north which has the packers of course and the vikings and they play the west in the afc which has you know kansas city uh the Chargers, I think, have at least a loaded roster, and they were twelve and four two years ago for crying out loud. So, what do you have? You had a chance to look at that and and to determine what you think their chances are this year, because everyone wants to pick them. Uh, you know, either they or the Saints to go to the Super Bowl. Yeah. 
Well, I think it's going to be I, honestly. I think that they're about an eleven win team. I think they, they're going to be able to sneak out a couple wins here or there too, just because of the maturity and and uh, the leadership of Brady. I think he's going to already give you two, three plus games just because of that alone. Um, and, and again, too, kind of going back to a little bit of the pandemic stuff. Um, the way that I would say it's very similar to what you're seeing in the NHL right now. There, if you watch some of those NHL games, some of those offenses are completely out of sync. Mm-hmm. not scoring, can't connect on passes. Listen, I'm a Penguins fan, and I had to watch them play Montreal, and I lost my mind because they couldn't connect the pass at all. It was driving me nuts. Go if I see Jack Johnson on the ice one more time, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, anyway, uh, my point being yeah. is, is that if they're able to get their offense off to a hot start and they're able to click early in the season, I think they can rattle off some early wins and maybe steal a couple versus a team that doesn't get their mojo going until, you know, a couple weeks in. Think about too, the Saints had no offseason program at all. They, Sean Nathan basically told them beginning of the pandemic, we'll see in training camp. So as far as I know, they didn't meet during Zoom calls. They didn't meet during any of that. So whether that's beneficial to them, I don't know. But at least to me, I mean, I'd be losing my mind going, hey, can, can we watch some film? We do something like keep the mind sharp. So what you're thinking on this play, which now Breeze probably did that on his own, anyways, with his guys knowing Drew Breeze. But those are the kinds of things that uh, people don't take into account. Of hey, how much are you going to be in sync at the beginning of the season with no preseason games and an abbreviated and I guess limited training camp per se? Noteworthy, John, that the Saints don't start fast anyway. Two years ago, they lost to those Tampa Bay Buccaneers before, I think, finishing 13 and three. You know, they and I'm not sure what their start was like last year, but they they get out of the blocks a little slowly. So that first game against New Orleans, that would be one to steal. That would be a perfect example to steal one out of the gate. They're the Greg Maddox of the NFL. You know, Greg Maddox, if you could get him in the first inning, you were great. And if he could get through that, he'd just do you in. Let's talk about Tampa Bay's defense a little bit um, because uh, they play in a division with Matt Ryan and, and Drew Brees, and they are going to have to hold up their end of it. Tom Brady can only do so much. Um, defensively, how do you like them? Uh, they're, they're particularly up front because, to your point, Derek, in this season particularly early on, you're going to have to get pressure with the guys up front, bringing bringing a lot of linebackers and strong safety. Mm-hmm. You you may bite, cut off your nose to spite your face. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I really like their front seven with uh, with, with them getting Shaq Barrett back on the franchise tag, uh, JPP and um, and re-signing Indomitian Sue. He's not the Indomitian Sue of old or he's not stepping on anyone's heads either. Um, <laughs> but he could certainly be effective on the front and create a pass rush as well. I mean, their, their defense really climbed uh, towards the end of the year, and they started playing some really, really good football. I mean, like I was saying, I mean, this team was only seven games. They were they lost within um, within seven points. So they're right there. And the tandem of uh, Lante, David, and Den White, too, has one of the better linebacker combinations in the league, too. So I, they're, they're a defense that is definitely going to be uh, on my pickup in my fantasy league. Uh, don't tell my dad that, but I might, they might, they, he doesn't, they, they, he doesn't watch the show. So no problem. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, I honestly think, I mean, you heard Bruce Arians talk about their defense at the combine and t- how he says that, you know, they can be one of the better defenses in the league, uh, especially with their defensive coordinator, Bowles, who has a really great record and one of the better defensive coaches in the NFL too. So they, I think they could be near the top 
Well, you know what? When they when they when they play the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, they got to worry about that back end. That was Coach Hazlitt <laughs> saying the Niners have a great defense, but it's mainly their front seven, that back end. And sure enough, sure enough, yeah. the back end. Uh, yeah. Talk about the offensive line because it's been substandard. Where do you mm-hmm. rate it right now in terms of the rest of the NFC? So last year was pretty interesting because they ranked 22nd in the NFL in offensive line. But uh, Pro Football Focus actually had them at seventh. And the reason being is, is they contributed a lot of those sacks to uh, Jameis Winston holding the ball for too long. Now, how you how you grade that, I'm not really sure. I mean, it's more like opinionated and everything. Think back to like the, the, the Steelers early in Roethlisberger's career. He would get sacked a ton. But a lot of it was him holding the ball for longer than he would, trying to extend a play, those, right. those sorts of things. So – you know, with the addition of Tristan Wirfs on the offensive line, helps a great deal. You could see that they are trying to make a push this year and next year. This is their Super Bowl window, so they are going. Uh, they're all chips in for for this run. So I, you obviously see that offensive line improving. And then, like I said, with Gronk too, you kind of add a third a third tackle into the game too that should help their running game as well. So yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing that I'm that I'm thinking about that you add uh, the, the tight end is such an you know I don't know if it's underrated but it, mm-hmm. it's it's an element of an offensive line that isn't talked about as much especially when the tight end is known for catching passes as opposed mm-hmm. to run blocking but to your point he's in there and that run game went through the roof uh, you're talking their last Super Bowl season uh, with the New England Patriots so the addition of him could make a difference with that offensive line Johnny anything yeah, I got one final question for you, Derek, and it's because you former college quarterback, offensive coach uh, as well. For Tampa Bay Buccaneer fans and football fans in general, watching Tom Brady through the first two or three games, what are you looking for to determine whether or not you think that this will work? I mean, I think we all think it'll work to a certain extent, but mm-hmm. bring somebody new in there. There are always there's a lot of variables, and to your point, I mean, this is just a weird year anyway because nobody's had an opportunity to work together. But yeah. what are the couple of things that you, you're going to look for with Tom Brady to see what his comfort level is and how successful you think it might be? Well, I mean, for me personally, I'd probably be looking at some of the, the concepts and what are the things that they're doing um, schematically and offensively and whether he's in sync or not with his guys. Because, again, that's what I said. Like, that's going to be the biggest thing for a lot of these teams is being in sync, especially Brady being a new quarterback in a new system with new guys around him. Um, and that, no offseason. And no offseason. Well, you had Brady's offseason at uh, local Tampa Bay High School, like I said. But, um, and there's nothing wrong with that. If I, was, if I was Brady, I'd probably be doing the same thing. I'd be yeah. like, you know what? We're going to go to a park and we're just going to go throw. So um, that's probably whether he's in sync or not. Because uh, like in New England, um, a, lot of the, a lot of the different stuff that they did were option routes. So you think with Edelman, like what they called in New England was like Haas wide juke. So wide juke, essentially, Edelman was able to run three routes. He would either run a sit route, if there was nobody over top of him, run a little hitch. Uh, he would run a, oh, I have it written down here, a return route where he's going to break inside and then go back outside if the guy has inside leverage. And if the guy's outside, he'll run with the juke route. Well, he'll push outside and then kind of just run across uh, across the, the ball, essentially, like on a drag or slant. So, And then run vertical routes on the outside, so you're just isolating one guy. Those things are hard to, to do because those take so much repetition. Right. 
So whether you're able to do those things, even with Gronk too, running the Y option route that they ran in New England so much over the middle where Brady's just able to control the middle of the field with those two guys. So whether they're able to do that, I think is a big part of that. All right. So before we let you go, just address the elephant in the room to some degree, which is the fact that Brady is 44, that Mm -hmm. according to lots of pundits, his skills have seriously diminished, that he's not even he's no longer a great quarterback. He's maybe not even a good quarterback and that he can't throw downfield like he used to. Now, my thought is that he didn't have any weapons to do that with in this in this last year in New England. And with smoke and mirrors, they finished 11 and 5 or whatever it was, 12 and 4. I mean, literal smoke and mirrors. And they were exposed in the playoffs, of course. But looking at Tom Brady, in terms of his overall career and in terms of comparing him to other top 10 quarterbacks, where does he stand in your mind? Well, when, when you think about the age aspect, I really think about the, the, the Broncos with Peyton Manning on how one year he was so great. Um, I don't even know how many touchdowns, 40, 50, some touchdown passes in one year. And then the next year kind of falling off of a cliff. And I think everybody's continued to wait for that cliff for Brady. Right. Um, but I, I would say, I mean, I, I think that he would be have a pretty damn good year this year with, with the – with the personnel that he has around him, with the coaching staff that he has around him. I think the buy-in is there from the Bucs. Um, I mean, they, they wouldn't be bought in if, if they weren't going after, you know, tackle or, you know, offensive linemen in the first round and try and pick up free agents here and there to just kind of build around him and, and whatever Tom needs. And I think towards the end of his run in New England, they weren't necessarily doing that and surrounding him with, with those kind of players to, to kind of maybe cover up some of Brady's, blemishes and his age issues so i think that there's a full out effort in tampa to, to, to really surround him with those kind of things so i i like I, I think it could go either way i think this is could be this could be you know like brett Favre going to the jets or or peyton manning going to the uh to the broncos and going to a super bowl and winning a super bowl eventually and boy i tell you that i i think well, I, I, as uh, much as i look best, forward to it Derek abbott I, as much as I look forward to it, I, th- I think, again, the despite the elephant in the room is the fact that nobody's had a lot of time to spend with their fellow players. And no. if you said to me, right. hey, you got to pick a quarterback, you got to pick a quarterback who's going to walk in and have limited amount of practice and try to have some, some success. And I'll throw Tom Brady in with the Drew Breeses of the world and guys that I'd say, oh, I'm kind of going to bet that this guy is going to navigate this a little bit easier than some younger guys who haven't been around the block as much. That 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 is a good call, Derek. Thanks again, Derek Abbott, assistant coach for the Coast Guard Academy, currently quarantining in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, spending a lot of time researching Ohio State University's 1936 <laughs> playbook. And uh, you know, my next deep dive, Derek, is uh, Jesse Owens, who went to OSU and had this mm-hmm. otherworldly Big Ten championship in 1935. So uh, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll ask you for a little assistance for that deep dive. Thanks for joining us, buddy, and, and good luck with everything. Thanks, man. Absolutely, yep. Hey, let's hope that we can have a football season this year in the Big Ten or somewhere. I mean, I'm, yeah. let's hope so. Yeah. I don't think the Big Ten, I think, is I, it, it seems like that decision has been made. We'll see if the Pac-12 follows them. Uh, guys, uh, the SEC, ACC, Big 12 still seem like they're pretty hell-bent on, on, on putting something together. 
Um, that's, that's a perfect transition, Johnny. I mean, everyone that's saying it looks like Pac-12, Big Ten are not going to have any fall sports. Everyone, even in those conferences, those officials are saying we're going to have spring football. So no one's saying that the season is going to be canceled. Right. They're just going to put it in a different part of the year, part yeah, of the, and they're just, know, the school year. And there are questions then for guys who are seniors and want to play in the NFL. Would they really want to play in the spring? What eligibility? Oh, yeah. There are a lot of, there are a lot of moving a lot of moving pieces there. Um, I just think uh, I, I also think there are reasons beyond safety that uh, and liability, frankly, that uh, that this this decision this decision was driven at the big in in the Big Ten. If it indeed does come to happen, apparently, if there is an announcement, it's going to be tomorrow. There are some differing reports right now, um, but uh, it's not just about liability and safety, Mark. There there's a there's a lot of concern with. Uh, athletic directors and university presidents that uh, the players are starting to um, collectively want to be heard collectively. And that's on both sides that we will play guys in the other side. Uh, and I think there is a lot of concern that if you bring student athletes back to universities without other students on campus, just so they can play football, You've now you've really blurred the line that is the student athlete line. And are these guys now really just um, uh, are, are, are they your labor force for a money making endeavor? Again, I think there are students uh, going to Ohio State. I mean, there, I have, there may there may very well be like but there thousands are. and thousands of students that are going to some of these big universities. So right. I, I, I just I just don't know if there's any out there, even in California. But I don't know that for sure. Like UCLA, like USC, whatever it is, Stanford, and, you know, that say everything is virtual for the fall. I, I don't know about that, but I do think that the fact that these players are as united as they are and pushing back essentially with the idea of we want to play. You know, don't penalize anyone for opting out. Give them another year of eligibility. Do all of the protocols that that you think are safe uh, that 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 are at, at the top end of what the CDC recommends. And essentially, you're they're alleging you're putting the kids at risk worse by staying home because if they do get it with other members of, of families that they wouldn't necessarily come in contact with uh, at school. But if they get it, then they're responsible for their right. care. They're responsible for everything in terms of, uh, you know, beating the disease. But that also absolves the university from any liability issues. Cause those are, those, those are a big deal as well, but they're, you know, I agree. It, I think that's, I think that's what's driving everything. And there are other players and there are other players who are opting out and other players who don't want to play. And it's just that their players are starting to, as opposed to individually talk about things, they're starting to collectively talk about things. And if you remember a couple of years ago, Northwestern tried to unionize college football players. And I think there are concerns by legal minds. And I've heard people say this, that if you decide that you're going to, bring back the college football season and either you don't have students on campus or even though you do, there's a, a you know, it's a, uh, you're separating them by having smaller classes, classes outside virtual uh, many of the classes virtually um, that it, it you and, and you're requiring these student athletes to gather together that there, there are some legal ramifications there that uh, that blur the line between amateur and, and we know that come on. 
you know, you, you go to Alabama, you're, you're an employee of the state of Alabama. You're more than you're a student, frankly. Uh, so there are a lot of things at play here that, uh, that are going to inform this. But it seems like the Big Ten's gone, the Pac-12 to follow. And there's also talk that the SEC and uh, Big 12, uh, and hell, maybe they'll actually end up being 12 teams in the Big 12, go figure, uh, might offer to some teams that would prefer to play uh, the opportunity to play a, a conference schedule in some sort of hybrid conference, all of the Steagles playing together during World War II, the Steelers and the Eagles. Well, Nebraska and Iowa were the two schools that voted right. not to shut down. Nebraska, didn't they used to be in the Big 12? Just go back where you belong. Some point in time? Yeah, best go back to where you come from. There's my Hamilton record. I know, there it is. But this is what I think is most noteworthy, John, is that you talked about Northwestern trying to unionize. Everyone pushed back on that so hard. It was like, what are you thinking? But organically, these players, one of the items on their wish list, the top of which, of course, is we want to play, the last one of of five or six is that to create an NCAA Players Association. And so to me, I'm not sure what legal ramifications there are against that. If they decide to organize they decide to organize. There's yeah. nothing stopping them from that. And if organically it's come out of this thing where they just virtually are on the same page and that's all they have to do. And of course they're running circles virtually around, you know, a cat, you know, university presidents and athletic directors. <laughs> Betamax not work. TV color. Some, somehow, they had no job. grammar. Somehow they lose all ability to put a sentence together at the same time. But I think that's the most noteworthy thing of this. And, uh, you know, I, I agree that spring football will not be the same, but it does take the sting out a little bit. If they say we're, we're just moving it in the in the, you know, calendar year or the uh, the school again, year they can't even commit to it. I mean, they can't commit to it at this point. So I don't think there's anything wrong with throwing those trial balloons out there. And as we talked about with uh, sports trying to start up this summer, Mark, you're going to have to be facile. You're going to have to remain yeah. agile no matter what. Even if you say right now, OK, we're going to cancel fall sports. We're going to have a, a, a uh, spring football season. There's there's no way that you can predict six months from now what the situation is going to be, whether you're going to be able to do it or not. Speaking of unpredictability and or predictability, I believe the NBA is now pushing almost four weeks. Yep. Without a positive test. Yes. So they are mentioned the NHL as well. Just announced today. No positive tests in the NHL. They had seventy seven, I believe, hundred over seventy seven hundred tests and no positives. So they're are two examples of sports doing it exactly right. Bubbles and major league baseball seems to have rebounded from the, uh, the precipice of last week. So all of that is very, very interesting. We'll see what happens with the the fall schedule in college football. I want to make a a reference before we get to our progressive trivia, which is about my mom who didn't watch the, uh, didn't watch the show on Friday, which is the deep dive of the giants and the Dodgers. Oh, by the way, which, she she would have loved. So she she chimed on now. She got on. And one of her comments is, thanks, Jeff, for uh, being so nice to me. I'm watching the show now. So she gets onto our show right now and immediately yeah. turns on a previous show. Yeah. Whilst we're doing this show. Right. Pretty hilarious. Yeah. That's your family. 
No, it is. I'm not responsible for any of the listenership of this show. So their behavior does not reflect on me. Genius move, in my opinion. Why get behind? It's the show that she hasn't seen. She should watch that before coming to this show. The show will be available after it's over. So I think it's a genius move on on her part. They are BFFs. Jeff and my mom are BFFs. She's just making sure I don't say anything nice about the A's in your Giants deep dive. Well, you know, across the bay, you know, why would you watch the Giants? Over there, they had a... Yeah, so I don't think I did. So I might be okay. So let's go to progressive trivia. It's a little bit later than we normally started, but when I host the show, that always seems to be the case. We're looking for an NBA player, John Pelkey. Oh, okay. Do you know who it is, by the way? I do not. You don't? No, I okay. you, didn't, you didn't send me any of the information prior to today's show. This was just a, I'm unwrapping a surprise. I don't even know what's next. So this is kind of fun for me. That's what we ought to. That's what we, right. we can do that for the Monday shows now. Not inform the other what we're going to talk about, uh-huh. and we'll use it as okay. a litmus test to see if we know what the hell we're doing, which we clearly don't. To to see what the base of knowledge is for the for the partner. Uh, don't give them any heads up to do some no. last minute research to nope. to to bolster whatever basic knowledge they have about the M- MLB nope, or whatever. Right. Don't tell them if you have a guest. Don't tell them who it is. Just just throw it out there. Just expose us for what we really are. Hypothetically right. speaking. <laughs> First set of clues. We're looking for an NBA player, past or present. Here we go. Okay. Played for five NBA teams. Next clue coming up. Played in 160-plus playoff games. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. Let's keep going. Played with Adrian Dantley and Sean Bradley. Natural enemy of Adrian Dantley. Yes, indeed. And a two-time All-Star. That's it. Okay. That's all we got so far. Okay. All we got so far. All right. It's pretty nebulous stuff right there. Yeah, it really is. But not that many players have played 160 playoff games. That's a lot of playoff games. That really is. So this, this person had some... You know, had 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 a lot of postseason experience one way or the other. All right. So let's talk about uh, let's talk about the PGA. You guys watched the PGA. That was pretty exciting. Thing. Yes, it was. It was great. That was remarkable. What was the uh, the Eagle? Uh, was that on uh, 16, Johnny? Yep. The yeah. Big shot. Yeah. My God drove that. That's one that'll be in the history books. Yeah. Or PJ. That was just remarkable. And that sealed the deal, essentially, because uh, especially when he sank the eagle putt after that yeah. which was not a gimme by any means. No, but you'll take that eagle putt anytime. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding? Yeah. If you're left, what was it? Eight feet, maybe? Yeah. Something was like it that? 388, 98 yard par for some ridiculous distance. And he just got a hold of it and, and rolled the thing. Up within eight feet, yeah, it was it was it was crazy. But the whole the whole weekend was really entertaining. Uh, a great job across the board. And can we just have a constitutional amendment that says that Phil Mickelson, the minute he stops playing, needs to come into the booth? And I don't mean when he retires that he has to come in the booth. I mean when he's done with a round, he then has to go into the booth because he's just brilliant as an announcer. He really especially, is, especially when he's still playing. Yes. No. Oh, no. He, yeah, he's very good. Very fun, very insightful. And, of course, he's right there. He's just seen these guys. Yeah. He knows how the course is lying. He That's knows perfect. what yeah. to look for in the in the moment. So Tiger had a great first round, had a great fourth round. 
and not so good in the middle, fell out of it as well. But I, I do find I do still find it amusing and frankly somewhat heartwarming that there are articles talking about all of his rounds saying yeah. Tiger, uh, you know, frustrating day for Tiger second round, but he still thinks he can win it. You know, third round, sort of a muted response because he had another 72 in there. But then uh, again, there's this article about the fourth round because, he, you know, he had a 67. So yeah. Pretty nice. Pretty nice round. And so they go on and on about that. Uh, I enjoy that. To me, that to me, that's nor- normal. To me, that's a sense of normalcy. Isn't that a little Dallas Cowboy like, though, Mark? I mean, he's not in the mix, but there are more stories about him than there are. You know, it's got a little bit of that going. You could possibly make that argument. But the difference is that when he's not playing in tournament, you're not talking about him constantly. Dallas continues to get talked about offseason, you know, all, all year long. Dallas Cowboy, Dallas Cowboy, Dallas. We don't really hear about Tiger Woods. I mean, how many articles have you heard about Tiger Woods? Po- you know, during the pandemic, you know, well, not a, not a lot. I mean, he did play in that uh, tournament, that little thing with uh, Peyton Manning, which was a lot of fun. Phil. It really was. Yeah, didn't yeah. have a lot of legs though. They talked about a wallet happened shortly thereafter, and then it kind of went away. I also was kind of happy with the PGA because there was a little karmic justice with BK. I call him BK. Yeah, Kepka. Yeah, Brooks Kepka. He was, go- yeah, he was going on and on about well, not on and on, but sort of minimizing Dustin Johnson's accomplishment. He only had one major, sort of. Now apparently said- they're friends. Apparently those guys are friends, and you get you get the sense that that would have been you know if if you and I were in a golf tournament and you know I was up to explain why I'd shot 147 and you you shot 145 the day before, I'd probably yeah I would you know. He's only ever closed the door once. So he was sort of saying, and he, and what he was saying was true, that Johnson has been in this situation a number of times. He really only won it once. and Right, saying he, he's kind of a clam, kind of a clam when it comes clam. down to it. Bit of a clam. And then guess who clammed fourth round? Big yeah, time. absolutely. Fell absolutely. even below Tiger Woods. I, I just think what what I think was great with uh, Morikawa's wins, 23-year-old kid, and just seems 23. like. just seems like he's, I mean, it's just, he's, he's, he's just so mature for his age. But uh, I always love when somebody like that just steps up and wins it, and they they look around at all the you know the the best player to never win a major. Hello, Ricky Fowler. Uh, you know it's like all those guys now are just getting destroyed because oh, you know this this guy you know at twenty three. Now we'll see what yeah. he does beyond that. But uh, it was just just it was a, it was a great tournament. Uh, I'm glad that Bryson DeChambeau didn't win. Uh, I will, I will, he's the Scott Rowland of golf for me, except uh-huh. Rowland just looked joyless. Uh, DeChambeau is just looking for somebody to blame. He's that guy. Kep- Kepka doesn't remind you of Rowland at all. Now, uh, Kepka reminds me of, um, uh, uh, the actor, um, uh, crap, no country for old men. Uh, you know, uh, Tommy Lee Jones. Well, no, 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 no. Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin. He kind of reminds me of Josh Brolin. I really like Josh Brolin. So you don't care for Josh Brolin? I know. I really like Josh Brolin. Oh, yeah, it, I like Josh. Reminds Brolin. me. Looks like Josh Brolin. Oh, so okay. Kind of like you know. I sort of pull for him because I think it's, I get it. I think it's Josh Brolin. Oh, no, I get it. Like how a guy looks literally depends on whether or not you have a soft spot for him. Some, some guys just look weasley. 
Some some guys do. Look at DeChambeau. Here's the thing with DeChambeau that gets me. Yeah, you work out a lot. You worked out a lot, but you also started buying medium shirts. I'm convinced of it. Because you're, you, you know, it's that. It's like you know, everybody's going to see the gun show. Right. There's, right. there's an obviousness to him, and he's always bitching and moaning about some call that didn't go his way. Might as well be a quarterback. Good lord! There's so Shut many up. calls that don't go your way in golf. You know what I mean? Well, he's had a couple with like rules thing. You know where it's you know here's where you have to drop the thing. You know those arcane things in golf. Like well, that's got to be the length of the club plus your glove size. And you know, and he's taking issue with that. So he's kind of he's kind of hard to get behind. Yeah. So we're gonna have, a, gotta have a bad guy. That, that you got to have a bad guy in golf, don't you? I mean, you know, for some people with Seve Ballesteros. Because Seve, you know, well known, he kicked the ball down the the fairway. He clubbed a caddy to death during a European tour thing. I always thought point. he got way too much love than he deserved. Yeah, I don't know I why. And I always loved so, him. We're so enamored with him in like in the you know early eighties. He had that kind of swashbuckling feel. Late seventies, early eighties. Late seventies, early eighties. Yeah, came 70s. onto the scene. Uh, but he had that sort of swashbuckling. I always sort of liked Seve. But DeChambeau, that's 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 all. And plus, you know, the name is that. What is that? What does that mean in French? You're you're not as good as me. I think is what it means in French. Doesn't, but there's a, there's a Hamilton thing though about what what is it? Uh, Rochambeau. Rochambeau. Kind of kind of is evocative of that, Johnny. Well, it's a yeah, it's a French. That's a, <laughs> name, and it's the same pattern. It's the same syllabic meter. You know, it's still, just no, just no. I, yeah, yeah, right. Aren't I, those I, the two assistant coaches in the Waterboy? DeChambeau and Rochambeau. Never seen it. Oh really? Never okay. seen, never seen I, the waterboard. I I haven't either. Is it? Do you recommend it, Jeff? Well, no. I mean, it's an Adam Sandler movie, and uh, you're clearly a couple of uh, non-cultured old men. So I would never ever say that you should go see the movie. How do you miss the waterboard? Because we're talking '90s culture at this point in time. So that's pretty sad. That we don't even have <laughs> '90s culture. I, well, I don't know. I mean, I did a I did a passable impersonation of uh, of Adam Sandler in The Champion. Mark pointed out when I did my Vin Scully in the deep dive. <laughs> when he's talking about Howard Hughes, it reminded me. Have you heard of that that great bit that Adam Sandler does, Jeff, called The Champion? It's just an announcer talking about the final round of a multi major. Golf champion, yes, and, and he's and he's seven strokes ahead, ready to ready to win the next uh, major, and he just completely falls apart. It goes oh, it on just and goes. on. And what Howard Hughes, according to Vin Scully, did on the dugout is what this guy does in the yeah. in the cup. It's just a complete and utter meltdown, and it's hysterical. You know, it's it, it's it's a tin cup like meltdown, um, and it doesn't end nearly as well. So there you go. Check it out. I will the champion. Adam Sandler. All right, let's go back to progressive trivia. We uh, It is not Robert Ori. That's the guess I got from John Pelkey. Nor Nate Thurman, Robert nor Ori. Rick Barry. Or Nate Thurman, or Rick Barry. All these Golden State Warriors that people are thinking that I just, that's, I have no. I was just going to go straight to Sphere of influence outside no. of the teams I like. Yeah. All right, so let's go. Are we Are we going back to the first set of clues, Jeff, first? Great. Played for five NBA teams. Thank you, sir. Next clue is 160-plus playoff games. Next one is played with Adrian Daly and Sean Bradley. Natural enemy of Adrian Daly. Two-time All-Star. Next set of clues it is not Nate Thurmond, Rick Barry. It is not uh, Keith Wilkes, by the way, before he became Jamal, Jamal. Wilkes. Played with the uh, Golden State Warriors in the mid-70s. Scored over 1,000 points in the playoffs. Played for 12-plus years. 
won at least one NBA title. Only player in his school's history to have ever made it to the NBA. Oh, damn you. Now, that might that might help you, Johnny. Damn you. You, you love all the college references. So that's a good one, though. It's a very good one. Damn. I was very surprised when I saw that. All right, so have you watched any? You said you've watched a lot. Have you watched hockey, baseball, and basketball? Have you watched all three of those sports that are happening right now, John, at some I have. point? I have. Did you watch all of them over the weekend? I did. I did. I watched some of everything over the weekend, Formula One racing as well. So, yeah, I pretty, pretty did. Got, got a lot of hockey in, got a little bit of NBA in, um, and uh, got baseball in. Yeah. Yeah, I seem to I seem to only watch uh, Dodgers games though. It seems like that's all I'm seeing is Dodgers games. So I so watched you Dodgers Giants. I did Dodgers Giants with uh, Oral Hershiser as the uh, yes color. Per- he was mentioning uh, the Christian gentleman. He was mentioning Christy Matheson. Yep. So that was pretty neat. Uh, Major League Baseball, I think, is pretty fun right now. The Marlins are are playing well. The uh, Detroit Tigers are playing well. These are some of the surprises out there. Uh, Braves are, are, you know, and the Dodgers, Colorado Rockies, bit of a surprise. They're a little surprised. Bit of a surprise out there. Uh, Houston Astros not playing well. Not at all. Is uh, a surprise. I'm sure people are happy with that. I mentioned this the other day, you guys, and I don't know if you've thought about it too much or you think much of it, but I brought it up in terms of the sign stealing that the Giants – not we're we're not only accused of, but actually did in 1951. Uh, that it really statistically didn't seem to help them at home compared to their performance on the road. And when you study, or at least cursorily look from a sophomoric level, which is what study means to me, uh, at the Houston Astros season of 2017, they had a better road record. They won two games in Dodger Stadium. So. I'm not sure. I don't see actual evidence. You look mm-hmm. at Jose Altuve's batting average, much, much better on the road than it was at home. And he seemed to be right in the middle of that because possibly in the World Series it might have it might have been skewed in terms of that. Yeah. But do you do you think that has any merit, any value? The fact that the evidence says it may not really have benefited them? Well, I certainly think it has value. Um it's the evidence does seem to point to that, but I, I just I, I have to believe that at some in some point it gave them more confidence, or there there had to be just from a human nature standpoint there had to be some sort of positive for them. And who's to right. say that if he didn't he didn't hit well at home, who's to say he wouldn't have hit twenty points less? You know, right. it, you know, I, you would have Just to compare a logical advantage on some level. You would have to compare who was he up against on those home dates versus who was he who, who was who was he up against? Uh, who were the pitchers on the road? It, it I guess some and somebody's doing it because it's baseball and statistics are everything in baseball. But I'd really need to see the evidence of game from game who. You know, because is he is he batting against Madison Bumgarner, uh, you know, at home? And is he batting against, you know, the sixth starter who should be in Ottumwa, Iowa? Uh, 
I, that's what I don't know. So I, how are those statistics actually you, derived? You make a great, way? you make a great point because they did have home field advantage in both of those world series and they did face Kershaw and uh, who would have been the second starter in no, 2017? Actually, the Dodgers had, had they the did? home field. Oh, I'll, in, be, uh, I'll be damned. 2017. And so they split, they split two to, at the top of the series and then they split two on the back end of the series because it was seven games. I, and then they won and then they won two in Houston. I also want to I also want to say this, the uh we don't know that they weren't doing something on the road either with the way yeah. that electronics work. It's not that hard to get a camera in the away uh, in the away field either. So for all we know, they were che- cheating just as much on the road as they were at home. Yeah, and I have to assume if it wasn't working, they'd have stopped doing it. You know, at, at, at a point, again, they're looking at the statistics as well. And why would you continue doing it if, if, if you know, if you're succeeding more when not doing it on the road? It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. So, All right. Fair enough. Now, the Orlando Magic have qualified for the playoffs. Jeff, good for them. That's outstanding. Yeah, I, I, I'm disappointed that they've qualified for the playoffs without arguably their best player, but uh, they're in. They're in, and it uh, looks like they're going to – I think they've locked up the eighth seat, so they're going to open against the Bucks. It's so a, that should be fun. Are They're not yeah, in the seventh well, seed? Know, they're two and a half back of Brooklyn okay, right now, okay, so that's okay. going to be it's going to be tough to to come back from. But in the West, there there are four teams competing for that eighth spot. That's pretty fun. That and, makes this little preamble to the tournament very interesting. And I've got to say, I think we have just scratched the surface of most of these NBA teams from what I've seen. I I I, I watch it and I, it, it it strikes me that everybody's playing a little under their potential a lot. Sure. They don't seem they don't seem synced up particularly well. Uh, you know, uh, Derek was talking about it. Uh, Derek Abbott was talking about it when you're watching it. And you can just tell teams aren't where they normally are on a playoff run at the end of the season or during during the playoffs. They just haven't they haven't played long. There's no way to get there. So I think this tournament could end up being really, really a lot of fun because even those teams that are considered um, the Milwaukee's and the Toronto's of the league playing are, are the best teams you're not seeing them play at their highest level. And, and the how, only team how much, you're seeing that is, is Boston. They've won three in a row. Yeah, so they you, look, they've looked quite good. So you wonder about that. Now, in terms of hockey... Can, can we stay on basketball the, for a second? There's breaking news, actually. One of those teams that's fighting to get into the playoffs, the Phoenix Suns, their yeah. starting center, DeAndre Ayton, who's a who's a, a potential star in the league, uh, missed his COVID test yesterday and was unavailable for them today. Yesterday's COVID test he missed and he was unable to play for them today. It was a it was a game time uh, br- breaking news that happened at two thirty, and uh, he's out for the game, so they could miss uh, the the postseason because of his. Inability any, to show up in a bubble to a test. I was going to say, is there any information on how he missed his well, test? I mean, I thought they were literally being thrown into a bus I, and taken to. I, I I have not seen anything thrown into a bus. Anything to? I agree. They're in a bubble. You shouldn't miss a test. The only thing I've seen, which I couldn't make out whether or not it was a joke or fact, is that he he could have missed it because he was doing an interview with uh, Wojciechowski. That could be a joke. That could actually have been the reason why he missed his test. 
Yeah, I, I guess it's just it, it, it's just interesting because what we have seen to, to the point about these bubbles, uh, guys, is that when we've had uh, uh, we had the Marlins situation, the Cardinals situation, uh, the NBA, the, the couple of instances they've had in the NBA, it's all been because people have broken the protocol. Um, so right. uh, that and I think that's good. I, I think that because that was that was the concern early on is that they were following the protocol and then there, right. there were problems. Uh, but it seems like breaking the protocol is is the problem. And I just I'm just it, it's remarkable to me, given what we've heard, both what we've read in the media and what I've heard from folks over there at uh, at Disney, th- that they you know, this is it's a pretty damn tight bubble. Yeah. And you got to work to get out of it or, or at least just consciously. I don't make think a bad he, decision. Yeah, I don't think he left the bubble. I think he just missed wherever he's supposed to go to test or he wasn't in his room when they showed up to test him. He's just missed the test. And well, boy, talk about not being fluid, guys. Come on. I mean, you can't like text the guy. Hey, you're Mr. There's, test. Come get the test. There's three hotels that they're staying at, if I'm not mistaken. I've been to all three. They're not very big. You have to be able to find a guy. And who's in charge of the testing that just says, oh, he's not available. Moving on. I, I, I don't understand how the test was missed. Right. Right. People and people have cell phones and stuff. Seems, seems odd. It and does it seem, seem odd. It seems odd that there wouldn't be a protocol in place where they would reach out to him. You know, yes, you're supposed to be here at this point in time. I get that. But uh, he was walking the grounds of the hotel or something. Yeah. He's just trying to well, stay. You know, they knock on the door here. There's no way to the Magic Kingdom. And by God, I got to get on Pirates of the Caribbean. If I could just. Oh, crap. I forgot my COVID test. Now oh. I can't play. Shoot, uh, but shoot. I do think I, and I wanted to bring that up and I'm glad it came up. But I do. I, I, I because I was very, very dubious of this going into it. And, I, you know, I'm maybe overly cautious about this stuff. But uh, it. uh it, it, it is good to see that when we have had instances, it really has been breaking out of the protocol as opposed yep. to things happening within the protocol. And I think right. you look at the you look at the NHL um, and uh, they seventy seven hundred tests, I believe, if I read that correctly. They are north of the border where it, where the uh, where the virus has slowed down a bit, but they, they haven't had a positive test at all there. So the bubbles seem to be holding. And the question with football is. It, is there can you approximate anything like a bubble because you can't you can't do what basketball and hockey are doing obviously but can you do with football what baseball is essentially doing which is really sort of locking these guys down at home and on the road that's true it's going to be very interesting to see how it all plays out in the nhl you've watched some nhl we haven't talked much nhl on this show mm-hmm. you've watched some the the West again. The West has a lot of teams that are still viable. The East has a few as well. Uh, Philly is given the Caps. You know they're only one point back. Yep. There, Boston is you know going to win the Presidents Cup going away, but we know that's usually a fate worse than death. Yes. Yes. So, is there any favorite that you're looking at? Pittsburgh's lurking out there. Islanders, I think, have lost seven in a row. What team out there is lurking and that no one is paying any attention to that could either get hot in the playoffs or are built specifically for the playoffs and people are just missing it? Any 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 teams come to mind that good lord that that might really a lot of question uh, it, it really is but it's 
take and and it could be a top tier team. I I, I, mean, I have it, a, I have an answer for this question. It's probably an underdog. Is the Columbus Blue Jackets coached by? arguably one of the best coaches in the NHL. Yeah. They have Tortorelli, a goalie. Right? Yeah, they have a goalie who uh learned that his coach would yank him out, young kid, but a great goalie uh that that learned that his coach was not going to allow him to let soft goals go in, got pulled, came back for a game 7 or game 5, I should say, and got them in. They're looking really good. They've got a great uh, couple of front forward line, top top forward lines. So I'd say Columbus is the team that I'd be looking out for. They faced the Lightning in the first round, so uh, we'll see. They bounced the Lightning last year in the playoffs. They did. So uh, four nothing, right? Yeah. Four nothing. Car- Carolina's another team that uh, Carolina's I, playing I, well right I now. I think I think that uh, I think that they are are better than we assume. They're also well coached, although their coach drives me nuts. They're the bunch of jerks. They made it to the Eastern Conference Finals last year, and uh, Boston beat them in that Eastern Conference Finals. And they're a team to look out for again. Yeah, they're going to be tough. I think Columbus, uh, I really thought uh, after that uh, game, what, four loss to Toronto. Um, that's 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 the one where where they were like, okay, we got to get our goalie back in there. Yeah, yeah, because I, I thought the boy that could go either way after that because they were they were in a bad frame of mind after that game. I think they really expected to close out Toronto, but uh, yeah, t- I wouldn't bet against Tortorella, and uh, I don't like that Carolina Hurricane because was brought Rod Brindamore just not not you're not a fan. Is that the? Uh, yeah, is that I the don't issue? know why I, I liked him when he was a player, but as a coach, he just looks like he's got a punchable face. And don't don't wow, tell see, him, don't tell him I said that because he could destroy <laughs> me. But he'll oh. punch back, uh, which is funny. It's exactly the opposite for me. I don't mind him as a coach. I hated him as a player. Huh. Um, but, hey, you know, if he'd been on my team, I would have loved him. He's an Esatikan as well. Uh, that, But, uh, yeah, the, the, those are uh, those are good. Yeah, uh, the Penguins, Mark, are actually, they're out. They went home. That's what uh, that's what uh, Derek Abbott oh, right, was talking right, about. Right. My, my, they're gone. My, my wife and I are only going to have to root against the Penguins one more time today, and then we're done with them for this season. We're rooting for them to not <laughs> get so happy. the number one overall pick in the draft, which it would be a travesty if they did. There's something wrong with the NHL if Pittsburgh comes up with that number one lottery ball. Hmm. <laughs> I wouldn't bet against something it. wrong with it. Something just There's fundamentally wrong with the National Hockey League. Wrong. If Pittsburgh gets it, Sidney Crosby's on his way out. They get another generational player going forward. That's going to make me very upset. All right. All right. We'll, uh, we'll keep an eye of, out for that. Is that a progressive clues? Because I'm, 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 I, I keep Lenny working this right. over in my head. I'm a little, I'm a little upset that it wasn't Robert Ory. So Lenny, sure. got, Lenny got it right, and um, you know, I'm just going to ask him uh, how he does it. Because <laughs> is it just, but yeah. only two All Star appearances? Yeah, only two. How about see? That? Now I was because I was going to guess, I, and I swear to God, I was going to guess that, but I thought, no, 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 there have to be more All Star. Uh, the all-star games are a joke. Do away with all of them. Congratulations, Lenny. Let's go back to the progressive trivia. Give, last give me, a, give me four... a second here. My I crashed out of this uh, okay. stream yard, and um, it is not so, allowing me to put the PowerPoint back. So, in. John, yeah. you you were going to guess that? You well, gonna... I thought that initially because the Adrian really? Dantley, the Adrian Dantley was was really? kind of was Damn. kind of a giveaway, and and I knew he played with Sean Bradley as well. Uh, at least I thought he had. Um, but then it was the two All Star. I thought, no, 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 no. He had to. He had to go to more All Star games than that. That can't be right. I did think about the Adrian Dantley clue, long and hard. 
I real and 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 that means you know 30 45 seconds and I I thought damn peak of his career what he is known for yeah. is not playing for that team that you're referring to right now right right and but so I, I thought people might forget that but no no people no he was traded he was actually traded away he was a and, big yeah, member was, big member of that team and was traded away before they had the the their greatest success he was all right so we're going back to the top congratulations lenny one more time played for five nba teams 160 plus playoff games played with adrian dantley giveaway and sean bradley i thought <laughs> i did think about that two-time all-star only two times that's what threw johnny off i watched the 30 for 30 about him that's why scored over a thousand points in the playoffs played for 12 plus years Won at least one NBA title. More than that. Yeah, a lot more than that. Only player in his school to have ever made it to the NBA. That's Southeastern Oklahoma. Oh, Oklahoma. No, it's it Southeastern Arkansas. Oklahoma. He went to te- He went to like North Texas and then Southeastern Oklahoma. I think it was Scottie Pippen that uh, was uh, the yeah, Arkansas. Yeah, school. like yeah, mid 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 western Arkansas after dark by, or by the sea. Yeah. <laughs> no, it makes no sense. Second round pick. Let's keep this going. Played with three different international teams after he retired from the NBA and a an, uh, uh, you know and and a NBA G League team. He had I think six or seven different teams he played. He kept for busy after he retired. He's a Hall of Famer, well deserved in my opinion. And won the rebound title seven years in a row with, oh, by the way, three different teams. The two, two of which, the first two, wanted to get rid of him despite the fact that he had just won the rebounding title and uh, did it for the, uh, obviously did it for the Pistons, the Spurs, and then the Chicago Bulls. And of course, it is the great, the highly energetic Dennis Rodman. Yeah. I'm surprised you Dennis get a Rodman, man. Kim Jong Un uh, clue. Uh, a buddy, yeah, best friend. <laughs> yeah, BFF. How Jeff and my mom feel about each other. Dennis Rodman and Kim Jong Un. They're very close. They I would, very I would like to say that that uh, neither neither uh, your mother or I are Dennis Rodman nor Kim Jong Un like. No, just yeah, the relationship. Oh, the okay. relationship right. can be. I, just, uh, I didn't want. To, I didn't want her to be compared to either of those people, and I <laughs> certainly don't want me to be compared to either of those people. Although, if I had so, to choose, I think I'd go with Kim Jong Un. Kim Jong. Really? Yeah. More than Dennis Rod. Yeah, it's probably did, better gig right now. Yeah, and Dennis Rod. I, I, I knew he was. I knew. I knew Jeff was was a was a. And frankly, <laughs> come on, Kim Jong. Let's be honest. He he's a he's a quack, but Dennis Rodman is just weird, man. And, and let's be honest, who hasn't had a family member they wanted to open up with with an aircraft gun? I got like 10 I could name right now, people in my family that it's just like, you know, I'd like to rip. I like to rip them apart with some heavy he, artillery. He may show Good more Lord. restraint than I could. And perhaps that's the reason why none of them listen to the show or watch. The I was going to say, Mark can't do that because we'd, we'd lose listeners. So please. Well, Mark. and they, they must sense your animus toward them. Probably. That you want to, you know, not only just kill them, but. You know, eliminate any any of them. evidence of Hint them at all. Yeah, yeah. physical be- evidence of them at all. All right, so our deep dive coming up this Friday is on Super Bowl Four, John. Well, yeah, it little, is. Give us a little preview. 
It is on, but it's not really on Super. It's real. I'm calling it the road to Super Bowl. It should be the road okay. and Super Bowl four because really what it's about is is a is a game that in the pantheon of the NFL is a sort of a forgotten game because it was not a particularly competitive Super Bowl, uh, though it was a huge upset, uh, second only at that time to the year before, um, which kind of hurts it because it comes after Super Bowl three, which is such a uh, such a watershed game. But the road to get there, both for the AFL and its final season, uh, many of the players in that game, both for Kansas City and Minnesota, and then uh, and then the game itself, which is most famous, I think you would agree, for the fact that Hank Stram was mic'd up during that game. That is the most famous thing about Super Bowl Four. Absolutely. There's no, there's no doubt about it. It is a forgotten Super Bowl. Right. Even though, to your point, it was – the second massive upset in a row yep. in Super Bowl history, solidifying all of the doubters uh, of the of the merger that had happened and prior to that, obviously. But Hall of Famers uh, all over the place, particularly for Kansas City, a lot of guys, and and there's just there's just a lot that went into getting there, and uh, why there's a great deal of symmetry for the Kansas City Chiefs to win that final AFL Super Bowl, given that they're. Uh, their owner, Lamar Hunt, is the single most responsible person for the AFL and in the, I think, Mark, you would say Mount Rushmore of people important to the National Football League, not coaches. But, I mean, if you throw like a Pete Rozelle in there, I think Lamar Hunt has to be in that discussion. So we're going to talk about all of that. It's it's a lot of fun. It's, and Lamar it, it, Hunt, uh, do you talk about his extended family, uh, Mount Rushmore, uh, undermining the American dream? Well, you talk yeah, about any of that. There's going to there's going to be a lot of Kennedy assassination stuff creeping in. <laughs> We're, we'll talk. We'll probably do 20, 20, 25 minutes on the Kennedy assassination, about eight minutes on the Super Bowl itself. I hey, love it. Can I, I get, can I give an update here? Because you can't write this stuff. DeAndre DeAndre Ayton's test came back. He was negative, and he is now playing in the game for the Phoenix Suns. How does that happen? I guess this is a bubble they're living in. Oh, my goodness. And the test is obviously very quick. Obviously. Turnaround test. So they do. This hasn't come up that much lately, but they do have the best access to the best equipment, to the highest-end equipment, and to the fastest equipment as well. I will say this, that if the Kansas City Chiefs are really symmetrical, as you were pointing out, John, 50 years later, of course, they competed. They won their next Super Bowl was 50 years later. Right. And much like they won the last Super Bowl of the AFL. Could it have been the last Super Bowl of the NFL? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Hot take culture has taken over Mark Ferreira. I watch. I listen. I I, I read uh, many of the comments, which you should just never do, on Twitter, uh, with the stories about the Big Ten, and it was just a oh, it was a it was a cornucopia of myopic, uh, self-important uh, bashing of the bashing the players. Of course, um, it just. It, 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 I, I don't even want to get in, in, into it any more than I am, but just the the people who are just appalled that you know this that we're not going to play college football. Right. I don't want to get into that. And, no. And, and, don't and, read the comments. Don't and read. For the, the most part, I will be very surprised if the SEC doesn't play any games in the fall. I will be very surprised about that. Not that I'm assuming that person is from the South 
or uh, a, a you know a huge. Well, there was fan, a lot but- of that. There was a lot of hand wringing from SEC. Oh, we'd never do this, snowflakes. And it's like, first of all, you have no freaking clue what's going to happen. And you have had SEC uh, athletic directors, and you have had college presidents who have who have all talked about the possibility of spring football. To the point we were talking to it, alluded to that, yep. and alluded to the fact that they just the simple fact that they may not be able to play in the fall. So I, I think I, I think to your point, I'd be real surprised if we don't see some SEC football, Mark, and probably some Big 12 football. Um, but I will not be shocked if we do not see a 10-game season out of them. Yeah, no, I expect a 10-game season. At the, that's the best I'm going to expect for college football this year. All right, so we're looking forward to the deep dive that's coming up. It's the road to Super Bowl Four. I, I like that title. The road and Super Bowl Four, I think, because I will actually talk about it. We won't just you know, gloss over it, but, but just I'm burying the lead. It wasn't that great a game. It wasn't that great a game. No, but it was an important game and it was competitive until into the third quarter. I mean, it, it really was the, yeah, well, until we'll, the, we'll get until, into it. Until the Vikings did what they would then do three more times in the next eight years or seven yeah. years, actually eight seasons. I think, I think they got to four Super Bowls in eight seasons, John, and lost them all. And, you could argue they were never in any of them. They, they, were, they weren't close games. Even the Pittsburgh one, which was some, something like 16 to 6. Yeah. Some really, really low-scoring, boring affair. They were never in. Their offenses in Super Bowls generally uh, were the issue. They just could not. They were uh, Bud Grant, who was a great coach, was a little bit stubborn. This is what we do, and this is how we're going to do it. Um, and couldn't couldn't make adjustments when he came up against defenses that were uh, better. And you know, look, nineteen seventies Miami Dolphins, nineteen seventies Pittsburgh Steelers, pretty good defenses. Seventy yeah. six Raiders. That's a, that's that's a that's a pretty good defense. Um, and sir, we're the sixty nine Kansas City Chiefs, but uh, and, and so were the sixty nine Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, they were if they you- were a better defense statistically. They were one of the best defenses of all time. Yes, they statistically, were. In terms of turnover ratio, in terms of yards per play, in terms of points per game, they were a dominating force. It really wasn't about their offense in 69. Uh, no, but it was about their offense in that Super Bowl because their offense couldn't stay on the field long enough, and that defense just got worn out by a yeah. very, very good Kansas City offense and just basically a more sophisticated offense. Is really Lenny, what it came down to. Lenny said that it was the uh, only player from his school to be select to, to make it to the NBA. That's the one that gave, gave it away for him. Mm. Southeastern Oklahoma State. There it is. College by the sea, even though there's no sea in Oklahoma. All right, that does it for us. Next show, Friday, deep dive. I'm still going to say the road to Super Bowl four because please do. We all expect when, when you watch NFL films, the road to Super it includes the Super Bowl. You don't have to say and the Super Bowl. That's true. That's true. But you know me. I'm. Uh, I, I try. I strive You're for perfection. Yeah, I, I really am a literalist. I am a literalist. So true. <laughs> All right. For Jeff. For John. I'm Mark. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you Friday.